Well, good morning. I am um, very excited to be with you guys today. My name's Nikki. I'm the Communications and Young Adults Director here. Um, uh, but it's a really special day for me to be here because I've been fighting bronchitis for the two weekends previous to this, and up until Tuesday, we were, weren't even sure I was going to be able to talk today. So um, I am excited and blessed to be here. Um, application is everything. It's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks. Um, we're continuing with that today, and our premise has been... You can read all the Bible verses, you can show up to church all you want, you can sing along with the worship songs on Caleb or um, with Mark and the team, but until you put what you're learning into practice, it's worthless. It means nothing. We've talked about forgiveness and confession and trust. And for Christians, these are not um, applications to gain salvation. No, that's already been taken care of. Rather, these are how Christ is working in us. And we've said, if you're visiting with us or if you're a guest and you're not sure what you think about this Jesus guy, um, the things we're talking about are great advice, but you can take them or leave them. But for Christians, for the follower of Christ, the, applying these topics in our lives is a manifestation of God's work inside of us. And this week's app is no different. For Christians, this is um, a really important app. In fact, it may be one of the most important applications because when you're actively employing this application in your life, it will help with all the others. Forgiveness will come easier. Trust will happen more naturally. You'll have time um, to evaluate sin in your life and give confession and your spirit will be softened toward others um, so that you can encourage them, which is what we're going to be talking about next week. This week's life app is rest. And I know some of you are probably having the same reaction I had when Pastor Tim asked me to teach about this. You're laughing. You're like, oh, I um, don't, you have no idea what's going on in my life. You don't know all the things I've got going on. Um, I'll rest when I'm dead. You ever said that? Yeah. Yeah, I laughed. I said, really, Pastor Tim, are you sure you want me to talk about this? I have an 18-month-old who doesn't sleep in his own bed. I don't know what rest looks like. And if I'm being honest, even before I had a child, um, this was not something, sometimes it's, I was very good at, sometimes it's something I still struggle with applying in my life. And you know what? I'm assuming most of you don't have toddlers, um, but maybe your excuse goes something like this. Well, I'm just going to work this weekend uh, because I've got a big project coming up and I've got to get ahead. Uh, my, all my coworkers are going to be there. I, I can't be the slacker. I'm, I'm just going to work this one weekend. But all of a sudden now it's three months later and you're still working weekends. You're still putting in that overtime um, and you're still trying to get to that next goal and the next one. Or maybe it sounds like this. Well, if my kids don't play soccer in the summer, then they won't really be prepared for football in the fall, and then they'd be really out of shape for baseball in the spring, and they've got to keep up with their peers, right? Besides, my kids are young. They have lots of energy. They'll rest when they're older. Or maybe it sounds like this. Well, I've got PTA on Mondays, small group on Tuesdays, ballet on Wednesdays, aqua aerobics on Thursdays. Fridays are date day with my spouse. Saturdays are gymnastics, water polo, theater club, and catching up with friends. And Sundays, of course, are church laundry, catching up on projects around the house. And we got a meal prep because we can't eat out every single night of the week. Yeah? You ever lived like that? If you got teenagers, you've lived like that. 
Christians make excuse after excuse after excuse why they don't rest. And honestly, for most of us, the things filling our calendar, the things taking up time in our schedule aren't bad things. They're good things, but they've become consuming. And purposeful rest that is part of our weekly rhythm is so important that God modeled it and he commanded it. Take a look um, at Exodus verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus 20, verse 8 and 11. We're going to put these verses on the screen for you. This is part of the Ten Commandments. So you've probably heard it. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Then skip to verse 11. It says, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's talk some vocabulary really quickly. Um, Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word, Shabbat, that literally means to rest. And the definition of holy means set apart. So you could reread this passage, remember the rest day by keeping it set apart. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. The Lord blessed the rest day and he made it set apart. Think about that for a moment. God blessed rest. He ordained it. He created it. He supplied it. He gave it to us as a gift. What an incredible gift. But have we taken that gift? In your life, do you have a rhythm where you set aside one day every week for rest and reflection on God? If not, why not? What's the excuse? What's your reason? Is it because it makes you too different from your coworkers? Or you think maybe your kids or you will miss out on something culturally relevant, you've gotta keep up? Or maybe you just don't trust God to provide in six days what you need for seven. Or maybe it's simply you just say, well, that is too impractical. But you know what? God gave the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments as a way of setting them apart. He wanted to make them different. He told them to rest on the seventh day so that they would be different from the nations around them. They would act different than the surrounding cultures. They were to trust God to provide enough food for seven days in only six days of work. God called the Israelites to do a lot of impractical things. I mean, can you imagine walking through a sea you've just seen split in two? It doesn't make sense. But when the Israelites did the things that God asked them, when they followed the path that he had laid out for them, the nations around them noticed and God was glorified. And as Christians, we're called to be set apart as well so that people around us will notice. Not because we're holier than thou, not because we're better than anyone else and not for our glory, but for his. But when it comes to this practice of keeping a day of rest, somehow we've convinced ourselves that it doesn't apply to us. We've said, well, well, that's just Old Testament law. It doesn't apply to me. Besides, life is so different now. They just didn't understand. They didn't have the kinds of things that we have today. We don't actually have to work, most of us, to get the food that we have, right? It's not like we're going out and picking our, 
our gardens for most of us. Or maybe we've done this. Maybe we've confused rest and church. Maybe you were taught this growing up, that to keep the Sabbath holy means to show up at church on Sundays. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not telling you don't come to church. I get in a lot of trouble for that. But church and rest aren't the same thing. Church, church can be a part of rest, and it absolutely should be part of our rhythms as Christians, but that's a whole other message but church, sitting here, singing songs, um, listening to a message is not a religious check mark that means, okay, I've kept the Sabbath holy because I showed up. Being set apart is difficult, and we have a choice to make in the matter. And we've all procrastinated rest. I'm guilty of it. I would guess you are too, because it sounds something like this. Well, I've got a job to do. I've got family and commitments and there's laundry to be done and sports and we, I got to work extra hard because we have this debt that we have to pay off and we want to buy this house and we want to travel and, 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 and. I really love the Old Testament for the single fact that it shows us that human nature has not really changed over the centuries. You see, Israel would be really, really good at keeping God's law for a while. But then they would get distracted by the ands. They would get distracted by the world around them. They would get fed up with what they thought were restrictions that God had placed on them, and they would get distracted by the world. They would live contrary to what God had outlined for them. They would start to get restless with what God had prescribed for them, and they would seek something better for their souls. They would seek it in other gods, in cultural practices, desires of the flesh, all kinds of things distracted God's people from God's promises. And the same is true today. All kinds of things distract us, God's people, from God's promises. Look at what um, God says in Jeremiah 6, 16. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths, ask for the good way, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. In these verses, God is using the prophet Jeremiah to call Israel back to him. They've disobeyed. They've strayed away from his commandments. And he's saying, look, you're faced with a choice. He uses this metaphor of a traveler, which would be really, really relevant to them. He says, you've come to a crossroads. You've come to a point in the road where the road forks, and you have a choice to make. You can go the route you know. You can go the route that leads back to God, or you can try this other route. He says, think about the old ways. What's he referencing there? He's referencing the Ten Commandments. He's referencing the laws and the guidelines that he gave to Israel. He's reminding them, hey, I've already provided a way for you. I've already created the path. And one of those paths is setting aside one day out of every seven to rest. And when we're living in God's design for our lives, whether it's through our finances, through our sexuality, how we raise our children, how we treat our neighbors, how we practice forgiveness and confession and trust, and how we rest our bodies... When we're in God's design, it's then that we will find rest for our souls. Think about it for a minute. 
when you're working those extra hours, when you have so many sporting events, you can't physically be at them all, does your soul feel restful? Are you able to connect with God? Are you hearing from him? Are you able to put those other life apps into practice, forgiveness, confession, trust? Nope, my guess is probably not. I know it's that way for me. And maybe it's not noticeable right away. Maybe you've got one really full week and and you don't notice. But over time, the longer we go without a rhythm of rest, the more restless our souls become. And we begin to seek peace. We seek rest in the wrong things. We seek rest in um, cultural practices, desires of the flesh. We look for things to satiate that restlessness. And the reality is it just becomes a vicious cycle. Because you know what actually increases when we don't rest? Depression, anxiety, and anger. All three are proven to increase when our bodies are not rested and when we don't take time to relax. Okay, so what does rest look like? Well, for all of you type A's in the room, the answer is super unsatisfying. The answer is it's different for every person, because that's how God created us, right? He created us uniquely um, with different different things that, that satisfy our soul. Part of it is good sleep, but it's not all of it, because true Sabbath, true rest goes beyond that. Rest restores our souls. It draws us closer to God. It aligns our heart with his. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Josh preached an incredible message on the difference between restoration and relief. And he he looked at Psalm 23 and he said, true restoration nourishes the soul and the body where relief just helps us escape. You know, that message is really, really good. And I wanna encourage all of you to go back and and re-listen to it, especially if rest is something that you need to put into practice. Um, If you're watching online, we're going to drop a link to that message in the comments. And if you're here in the room with us, um, you can go onto our website, gracepointtopeka.org, to find that message. And you know, that was a great message. And I don't want to try to compete with Josh. I don't want to double up on what he preached. So I'm going to go a little bit different direction. Instead of focusing on what rest looks like, because it's different for all of us, I want to spend our time today talking about the practicality of this. How do we actually put this into practice? Because my guess is, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've probably heard a message on taking a Sabbath. But the reality is, those messages tend to go in one ear and out the other. It's true for me. Um, We continue to fill our calendars and our lives, and we're so busy. We don't know what's going on. And you know what? Pastors and teachers are going to continue to preach and teach about this until we get better at it. So let's talk about some practical ways. How do we incorporate rest into our weekly rhythms? How do we add one more thing to our already busy lives? Step one, schedule it. Schedule a day of rest. There's nothing super biblical about this or, or it's not like a thought that's blown your mind, right? But the reality is everything in our life is scheduled. We schedule our doctor's appointments. We schedule when we get our hair done. Um, we schedule our soccer games, our meetings at work, our play dates and our, 
and our dinner parties. We even schedule when we pick up our groceries and when food is going to be delivered to our door. Everything in our life is scheduled. So why aren't we scheduling rest? So when you get home this afternoon, I want you to take out your, your calendar, whether that's in your phone or a paper and pencil or a, one that hangs on your fridge, and I want you to look at your week and find one day that you can set aside for rest and restoration and pencil it in. And then look at the next week and schedule it then. And look at the next week after that and the week after that and the week after that and the week after, you see where I'm going with this? Keep scheduling. And as a, a side note, it doesn't have to be Sunday. If Sunday works well for you, if that's a good day to rest for you, awesome, make it happen. Um, but Pastor Tim has said this before, if, if the rest day was required to be on Sunday, then you shouldn't listen to any of your pastors or teachers because they would all be breaking the law, right? They all work on Sundays. So find a day that works for you and get it scheduled. God models it and he commands it of us. And we should be modeling it for our children, for the culture around us, for our employees. Hey, listen, if you are a business owner, do you set practice in your business that allows people to rest? Do you encourage time off? Do you give them the opportunity to take a day of Sabbath? Rest is one of the things that should set us apart as Christians. We should be really, really, really good at it. But until we get there, until we get really, really, really good at it, we've got to schedule it. Okay, number two, prioritize your day of rest. See, I believe you guys are all good students and you're gonna go home and you're gonna get your rest days scheduled immediately. But I also know the world around us and I know what temptation creeps in. You'll see an empty day on your calendar, a blank spot, and you'll be tempted to fill it in. Maybe with a special project, an extra tournament. Maybe it's with social media or vegging on the couch, watching a Netflix show. But are those things really, truly restful for your soul. Anytime something comes up that wants to take space on your calendar, wants to take space in your day of rest, I want you to think back to Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. When you're tempted to add something to your schedule, realize that you are standing at a crossroads. This is the point where you have a choice. You have the choice to prioritize rest, the things that will lead you toward God, toward restoration and nourishment for your soul, or you can choose the things that will lead you further away from rest. And honestly, that's something that you and the Holy Spirit, you and God have to determine together. I can't tell you what that is, but I bet you already know. I bet you know when you feel most rested. I bet you know when you're connected to God and when you're hearing from him and when you're growing spiritually. I bet you know when you're drawn toward God. And when you're at that crossroads, you have to make the choice. Sometimes it means saying no to good things say no to good things so that we can live in the way that God designed us. And you know what that requires? It requires discipline. I don't like that word. 
Culturally, we don't like that word, right? It carries a negative connotation. So we choose a different word like application, but that's what it's about. It's about making the choice. Ultimately, it's your choice whether or not you choose to do this. But God says this is the better way. It's really, really interesting how God knows the heart of the people he created. Look at what he says at the very, very end of that verse. But you said, we will not walk in it. You see, Israel chose not to walk in the path God had created. And if you read the rest of Jeremiah, Israel was taken captive, their cities were destroyed, and they faced God's judgment and punishment. And God realizes that discipline and application isn't always our strong suit. And the temptation to fill our time, the temptation to load up our schedules, the temptation to seek rest in other things has plagued people for generations. So what does that mean? Does that mean this is a free pass? It's, it's an out? No. Does it mean, you know, God already knows we're going to mess this up, so why does it matter? Why should we even try? Because it is how God designed us. It's how he created us. It's how he knit us together. Our souls and our bodies crave rest. You see that phrase, find rest for your souls. It shows up in scripture one other time. And it shows up in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 29, which says, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens or heavy laden is what your translation might say. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That means take my way upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. God knew that the Israelites wouldn't keep the day of rest set apart among a multitude of other sins. He knew that sin and human desire and culture and expectations and deception would get in the way. And that is why Jesus came. He came to make a path that was like the ancient paths, but that was enduring and never ending. Jesus says, turn to him, find your way in him. When you're exhausted, when you're overwhelmed, when you're so busy that you can't even manage the simplest of daily tasks, Jesus says, turn back to him. He is the ancient path. He is the good way. So the third way that we apply rest in our lives is we find our rest in Jesus. You want to know a, a really kind of geeky biblical side note? So Jesus tells the people, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, and find rest in me. And then immediately following that, in the next few verses in Matthew, Jesus begins to teach about what it means to appropriately Sabbath. You see, um, he challenges some of the notions that were held because at the time, the Jewish leaders had corrupted this day of rest. They had taken it from a day of rest into a day of regulation, into a day of rule following. They had taken what had been intended to be restorative and they made it restrictive. And Jesus challenges that. It's not about the rules. It's not about checking off my holy to-do list. Keeping a day of rest is a reminder of God's rescue and his redemption. 
It's all about recalibrating our hearts to be in tune and in line with God's. And the need for rest is built into the way God designed our bodies and our souls. It's part of how he created us. And it's part of the way that we glorify and worship him. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. I want to um, wrap up today with just a little story. When Joe and I were first married, um, I switched over to his phone plan. And for the first time in my life, I got an iPhone. And I was really, really excited. An iPhone is an incredible, incredible tool. They're beautifully crafted. They have so much power. And I promise you, Apple is not paying me to say any of this. Um, but I was really excited, right? An iPhone does really cool things. It's your phone. It's your alarm clock. It's your flashlight. It's your camera. Um, it's our entertainment, our banking system. It's our physician. Anybody else a fan of Dr. Google. You know, it does so many things, and I loved my new phone. I bought a special case to protect it, and I downloaded all the coolest apps, and overnight, I became an iPhone expert. Or so I thought. You see, about a month after I got the phone, um, my husband Joe had to go on a business trip, and he had to get up and leave at like three o'clock in the morning. So he woke me up, kissed me goodbye, and left. And I went back to sleep and slept soundly for several more hours. In fact, I slept so long that when I woke up, I realized it was way past the time I was supposed to be at work, and I started to panic. My iPhone didn't do what it was supposed to do. So I reached over and grabbed it, and it was still plugged in. It should have been charged. I pushed the power button, nothing happened. Black screen. What in the world was going on? I, I started to panic. I couldn't let my boss know I was gonna be late. How would I know if Joe made it to his destination on time? Because of course, we didn't have a landline. What was I going to do? So I quickly showered, I got dressed, and I rushed to work. I apologized to my boss. I said, I'm sorry I was late. I called my husband from my office phone, and I left him this tearful voicemail about what was going on. And I decided that at lunch, I was going to go to the AT&T store because they had to fix this. This was their fault. It was a brand new phone, and I wanted it fixed. There's two, th two things you need to know about me. Uh, the first is I am a millennial, but I am like the least tech-savvy person on the face of the planet. I often joke I'm kind of like an 80-year-old trapped in a millennial body. I have an old soul. But I'm also a very, very emotional person. And so by the time I got to the AT&T store, I had had all morning to stew and worry about what was going on with my phone, and I was prepared for battle. They were going to give me a new phone. And you know, have you ever had one of those days when there's a problem in one area of your life, so it means there's problems in all areas of your life? This was the point I was at, and I frantically walked into the store, and at the time, AT I don't know if they still do it, but... Um, AT&T would have an employee standing at the front door with an iPad, and their entire job was to check people in, just to make sure you got in line correctly. They were not there to diagnose the problem. They were not there to offer solutions. They were not there to sell you anything. They were just there to get you checked in, and it's some 20-year-old kid, you know, his first job. Um, and so he said, well, hi, what can I do for you? Oh, and did he get the story? <laughs> I 
frantically told him everything that happened. I said, you're never going to believe this. It's a brand new phone. My husband's out of town. It won't work. I was late to work. And he calmly stood there and he said, well, all right. I can sign you up to talk with an associate. It'll be about an hour wait. But have you tried hard resetting your phone? I said, well, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so he said, well, let me see it. And he took my phone and he pushed the power button and the home button at the same time. And by some weird IT magic, I don't understand it, the phone turned on. And I said, well, how did you do that? What did, what did you do? And he looked at me and he said, you know, if you don't update your phone or turn it off occasionally, it will shut down. Hmm. I felt kind of like an idiot. <laughs> Here I was, I thought I was this great iPhone user. I had all the apps. I had my Apple sticker proudly displayed. I was on the Apple bandwagon, but I didn't give my phone time to rest and update, so it shut itself down. And our bodies are the same way. We can look like we've got it all together. We can attend church. We can serve. We can um, participate in all the activities. We can go all the places, play all the sports, do all the work, um, be the star at our jobs. But eventually, if we don't incorporate a rhythm of rest into our lives, our bodies will shut down. And if our physical bodies aren't resting, our souls aren't resting either. So we have a decision to make. Will we stand at the crossroads of our schedule? Will we follow the ancient path, the good way? Will we walk in the way that God has laid out for us? Will we schedule our rest? Will we prioritize it? Will we choose to find our rest in Jesus? Or will the same proclamation that God made about Israel be said about us as well? But you said we will not walk in it.